For a bonus episode this week, I'll be republishing a show I recorded as a guest of the Lawfare podcast. Do note that we recorded this on Friday, September 25th, before a judge put a roadblock in Trump's plan to ban TikTok from app stores. It's been a game of chicken over the past couple of weeks where the Trump administration has sort of laid down the law, put the squeeze on TikTok and ByteDance and driven them into this set of corporate transactions. And China then says, all right, well, we can play that game too. And they intervene in a way that impacts the algorithm in particular. And the deal reflects an attempt to try to thread the needle between these seemingly incompatible positions. It looks a lot like the Trump administration is bailing out in this game of chicken, saying, all right, this is good enough. I'm Benjamin Wittes, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, September 28th, 2020. We chat, TikTok, Donald Trump, it's been a wild few weeks, threats to shut the companies out of the U.S. market and rip them out of the app stores, lawsuits, a preliminary injunction, and a sudden deal to purchase TikTok and moot the issue out. We thought we would chew it all over. Bobby Chesney is, of course, a professor at the University of Texas at Austin Law School and a Lawfare co-founder. Jordan Schneider is the voice behind China Talk, the podcast that you should be listening to on all things China and security. They joined me in the virtual jungle studio to talk about how we got here, to talk about whether the threat from these companies is real or whether this is more Trump nonsense. And we talked about whether the deal to save TikTok will actually work. It's the Lawfare Podcast, September 28th, TikTok, WeChat, and Trump. All right, Bobby, get us started. What is the procedural history of the WeChat and TikTok v. President Trump dispute? And at what point is whose apps going to turn into pumpkins and disappear? Wow, it's hard to know where to start with this, but I think what I want to do is begin with an often overlooked point, the the backdrop of China's long exclusion of U.S. social media companies like Facebook and Twitter from the Chinese market, whereas the United States has historically allowed analogous Chinese companies to operate freely here. That's what enabled TikTok and WeChat to build huge user bases inside the United States. Uh, It's similar to how Chinese hardware companies like Huawei also historically were able to operate relatively freely here and also built up market share. Now, we all know that a couple of years ago, that began to change with respect to Huawei and and the hardware plays. Concerns about the intelligence gathering operations that those types of entities might present for the Chinese government led to increasing pressure to push them out of the market. We've seen a lot of that, including last year, an executive order from the Trump administration that set the table for the possibility of sanctions against companies that are foreign-owned, that are in the communications infrastructure, but but didn't actually impose any sanctions at that time. Instead, over the past year or so, the Commerce Department has been looking into the promulgation of, of regulations that would enable sanctions to occur. And 
that was the backdrop when this summer, it appears President Trump really learned about TikTok when he was planning that big in-person rally in Tulsa that went spectacularly sideways on him. It was very embarrassing when nothing like the crowds he was expecting to show up showed up. And a lot of people observed that on TikTok, it had become widely circulated that you could go to this website and indicate you were going to go there. Lots of TikTok users did that and inflated the attendance numbers. And a lot of observers think that's when Trump got a bee in his bonnet about TikTok in particular. Now, they were already, TikTok US was already on the radar of the federal government at that time, not because of President Trump, but because of the interagency committee that reviews foreign company acquisitions that implicate U.S. interests. That's the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, uh, known as CFIUS by its acronym. CFIUS was already looking retroactively at the acquisition of the original version of that company, Musical.ly, by another Chinese company, ByteDance, which had, had already occurred. And, and CFIUS was looking at this in part because of questions that had arisen about pro-Beijing censorship, especially relating to Hong Kong protests that allegedly was taking place through the TikTok recommendations algorithm. So the CFIUS process is running its course. The uh, the possibility of sanctions uh, one day emerging as a framework out of the Commerce Department, these were all there. Then Trump gets focused on it this summer. And for better or worse, in August, against this backdrop, President Trump begins to let it be known that he's considering sanctions. And, and the way to think about this is, Either the CFIUS process could come to a head and ByteDance could be told to retroactively divest itself of the company that became TikTok, or rather than waiting for those Commerce Department sanctions regulations to emerge, since it wasn't clear they were about to, uh, the president could just directly invoke the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, since there already was this prior proclamation of a national emergency, generally speaking, to foreign companies posing security threats in the communications technology space. And, and basically, that's what he does. So in, in early August, President Trump announces IEPA sanctions against TikTok, but it's, it's of a particular kind. The sanctions don't take effect, we were told at that time, until mid-September. And in the meantime, the Secretary of Commerce is supposed to issue clarifying directives on exactly what it is that people subject to U.S. jurisdiction would be forbidden from doing with TikTok. It, it wasn't clear how broad or how narrow this would be. Would it entirely destroy the operations of the company within the United States? Might it even preclude it from having employees in the United States? Would it reach users? It was all to be determined. There were three justifications, three distinct security justifications cited in the order. The first one was intelligence collection risk. This is either the risk that because these are Chinese-owned companies, ByteDance and, and TikTok, that the Chinese government might be in a position through espionage to access data that these companies hold, or it could be a different version of that same risk where simply as a matter of their obligation to comply with ordinary Chinese national security laws, they could be compelled to cooperate in providing intelligence whether they wanted to or not. In fairness, much as a U.S. company might be subject to American laws requiring it to disclose information about customers. Of course, it's not entirely comparable, is it, given the significant distinctions in the uh, the level of independent judicial review of these processes. But setting that aside, there was a big claim about intelligence collection risk involving U.S. person data based on the users of the app. 
but there was also a separate claim about censorship risk, which was the original CFIUS concern. And then almost as a throwaway line, there was a, a reference to the possibility of the flip side of censorship risk, which is disinformation risk. Now, obviously, someone, someone in the White House process pointed out that if you're going to make those claims about TikTok, it's awfully awkward not to also make those claims about WeChat. And so on the same day that the TikTok order came out, WeChat, its U.S. operations, also got sanctioned. And then to complicate matters, this was all followed a little bit later with the results of the CFIUS process. And the result of that was in order to divest, for ByteDance to divest itself of TikTok by November. So the idea was in mid-September, both TikTok and WeChat would be sanctioned. And then whatever came from those sanctions, one way or the other, TikTok had to be sold off by November or else it had to simply stop operating if if it was still operating at that time. Since then, of course, there's been no off-ramp for WeChat. The sanctions are here and they're beginning to play out. For TikTok, the sanctions were about to be here. And at the last minute, a a deal was announced where Oracle and Walmart were going to team up. And in some way or fashion, we're going to take a stake in what would become this new entity, TikTok Global. And the, the key part of it first was that Oracle would in some fashion take charge of the data so that there could be uh, less fear about Chinese government access to U.S. person data because an American company in some way or fashion would supposedly have complete control over that data. There was nothing about the deal that, as near as I could tell, seemed to speak to the censorship risk and the disinformation risk, uh, which had to do not so much with the U.S. person data, but with the algorithm itself, because the deal does not seem to convey ByteDance's ownership of the algorithm to the United States. Indeed, it couldn't because China, in the meantime, had intervened with its own national security legal framework with an order precluding the export, the transfer to an American company of this recommendations algorithm. And so as we speak right now, it's not clear what's going to happen. There's There's been a one-week extension of the sanctions. There's a court A D.C. federal district judge is considering and will consider this weekend, if there's not a further extension, possibly in joining the transaction. We'll see what's happening there. Part of what's confusing is that there have been somewhat inconsistent statements from the various corporate players about exactly how much Chinese ownership would remain in TikTok Global. ByteDance had issued a statement suggesting that it would continue to have an ownership stake, whereas Oracle and and Walmart, their team up, suggested that perhaps uh, that would not be the case. And it's possible that the way to reconcile this is that all the companies agree that the plan is to have an IPO after about a year where uh, the the public listed on an American stock exchange, there would be public shareholding. And it's not obvious necessarily that any of the major corporate stakeholders would then continue to preserve their contractual ownership stakes. So that's, that's where things stand right now. All right. So that's a total mouthful. And I have to say that every part of it disturbs me. It's disturbing that we have these social media outfits that are funneling huge amounts of U.S. person data to China, where what happens to it is really opaque and the ability of the intelligence community there to exploit it in ways that we've imagined and can't imagine is troubling. It also seems troubling that the U.S. government would take an action against a company 
because the president is pissed off that a bunch of K-pop fans found it a convenient way to frustrate one of his rallies. It further seems a little peculiar to have this kind of extortionate, we'll shut you down unless you sell off to an American company kind of thing going on. And so, Jordan, I just want to ask, how legitimate are the concerns about TikTok and WeChat as a baseline matter? And to what extent, whatever is in Donald Trump's heart uh, about why he took action against TikTok, to what extent is it a reasonable reaction to the underlying concerns? Sure. So first, I want to push back a little bit on the narrative that Trump did this because of his rally bombing. You know, in the past, Trump has shown himself very much willing to trash social media companies for their perceived liberal bias. And that hasn't been something that he's been going to at a knee-jerk basis whenever he's asked about TikTok. And also, even before the rally, there were a handful of senators from uh, the likes of Schumer to Hawley and, and Rubio starting to raise the alarm and asking for a CFIUS review on this sort of thing. So, I mean, maybe it was a bit of a, an extra motivation to speed up this whole process, but there have been plenty of people within the administration and Congress who were wanting to take some action um, with regards to, to these two apps before the rally. So then coming to the question of like whether or not anything should be done about these two apps in the first place. My answer is yes. I think it's a, especially as TikTok has really grown at a tremendous pace over the past year and a half, two years, going from something that back when Musical.ly um, was kicking, you know, just had a few million teenagers who can't vote making videos that have nothing to do whatsoever with politics. And now we have an app that somewhere around 50 million Americans open on a daily basis. And they're not all teenagers. And this, and the content, which ByteDance initially tried to limit to sort of, you know, happy, non-political, non controversial things like jokes and and dances and sports highlights or what have you post the death of George Floyd have become you know it was it was unable for them to hold that line credibly anymore in the US and and since the Black Lives Matter movement really kicked off this past summer. The TikTok platform has become as just as political as as YouTube or Twitter or or Facebook. And with that power of being able to you know regulate exactly who is going to see what type of content, as long as there's political stuff in there, the pronouncements that they've made that they're not going to take political advertising or what have you don't really hold water because if you're a platform that uh, serves up content which is entirely driven by an algorithm, you can play with that algorithm to. Uh, help a particular candidate or get people going to the polls or not. We probably shouldn't be trusting Mark Zuckerberg with, but we definitely shouldn't be trusting Zhang Yiming and by extension the, the CCP, because unfortunately, however you know, liberal this young generation of Chinese tech founders may be compared to the likes of you know, Ren Zhengfei and, and the folks who are sort of one generation behind them, a lot of the, ByteDance, the, the CEOs of ByteDance and Kuaisho, other big, large Chinese tech companies, spent time in the US. Um, there are old blog posts of them talking about how they wish the speech environment in China was much more open. A few even uh, used to run uh, platforms which had a you know very little very little censorship on them before the government shut them down. But they at the end of the day, uh, these Chinese firms are not allowed to say no. Uh, and I think this is evidenced pretty directly. You were talking earlier about the sort of export restrictions that the Chinese government has now put on the TikTok algorithm of 
as if it was some sort of like national security risk, algorithmic recommendation AI would be. The ByteDance reaction to that was saying, of course, we're going to follow the law very strictly. Um, don't worry about us on this regard. But as you've seen, the, the reaction in the US has been to sue, 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 um, which is reasonable because this is something you can get away with doing in the US without um, much consequence, but really goes to show the fact that these firms do not have the room to push back if and when the uh, the Chinese government asks for personal data or you know a nudge in favor of whatever candidate or issue they happen to choose. And so how concrete can you be about what these firms are doing that alarms you? Is this a largely a hypothetical issue, which I think with Huawei it kind of also is, right, where people say, well, if you control that much of the physical architecture, the the relevant sovereign country gets a huge advantage? Or is it a situation where we know that TikTok and WeChat have done or are doing a set of things that we're concerned about? I think the the best case in favor of the argument that people want to be concerned about this and that there's a lot more that we're not seeing is the content censorship, which has been proven to go on by the likes of Aspie and the reporting from The Guardian, uh, showing that particular topics which you know, are either seen as controversial socially or may undermine Chinese interests have been shadow banned on uh, on the TikTok platform. For instance, LGBT content, separatist content, including like pro-Ireland and pro-Basque separatism. There's very little anti-CCP content. Back when uh, Hong Kong protests were, were really going strong in uh, last fall, there was very, very little to no Hong Kong protest-related content. So, and even there have been a handful of leaks of uh, internal documents which have you know, shown that these are sort of directives, not like glitches or one-offs as a TikTok is apt to claim. So I think from that, you can sort of extrapolate, you know, just first off, these aren't necessarily the sort of values that you'd want to be in a in an app that has such a, a a large presence in the U.S. But but beyond beyond a values question, it also goes to show just how much ByteDance is sort of worried about you know, having the news article come out that like there's anti-Xi movements that are being planned on their on their algorithm, and I think we've 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 spoken mostly about TikTok at this point, but WeChat is a more difficult topic in my book because on the one hand, it, it plays an extraordinarily important role in cross-Pacific connections. You know, all my friends I speak to in China, I speak to exclusively on WeChat, and for plenty of people who have family ties, this is their main method of communication. Of course, it is the only easy method of communications because as Bobby said, you know, Facebook is banned. WhatsApp is banned. Even SoundCloud uh, was taken off past last year. So there are very, very few bridges of communication. But in terms of the concerns that a, a U.S. government may have, you know, there is there's very clear censorship on on news, and a lot of people use WeChat as their primary news source. Um, there's also a lot of organizing that goes on within WeChat, um, particularly in domestic politics. So there have been a handful of movements of Chinese Americans organizing around around various issues of affirmative action or, or police discrimination or what have you, which have grown out of WeChat groups. So uh, my friend Kevin Shu made the argument that, in fact, like a a more direct vector of influence would actually be nudging WeChat groups and WeChat conversation in a direction to to sort of mobilize votes and what have you, as opposed to TikTok, which is sort of a, a, a bit more of an abstract way of going about the issue. 
So I, I'm really of two minds when it comes to shutting down uh, WeChat. But but for me, having TikTok operate in the U.S., whether just with complete ByteDance ownership or this like very wishy-washy Oracle uh, Walmart deal is really not something that the U.S. should should countenance. What do you think, Bobby? It's one thing to say, you know, hardware infrastructure that's carrying sensitive American traffic, we have a national security interest in. It's also, it's a little bit different to say, you know, a playful app that involves kids making videos of themselves dancing is something that the United States has a really strong interest in being American owned. What do you think? Is there is there a good case for keeping TikTok out of this market or forcing it into a strategic relationship with American companies? And how is that different from you know, Chinese efforts to protect its own markets from American firms? So it's obviously extremely hard to separate it from the concern that to some extent, at least the president's own personal engagement with this issue isn't actually as focused on the legitimate concerns that, that Jordan articulated and that we've been talking about. So, so, but setting that aside, if we do have the ability to set that aside, we obviously, as Jordan said, we, we should be concerned about this. The the information environment. I don't think I don't think there's any doubt at this point in 2020 that the uh, larger context of what people believe, what information they're exposed to, is a significant battleground. Very unfortunately, but nonetheless, is a significant battleground on which states have begun to compete with one another. And in an environment in which the playing field, far from being level, is, is completely unlevel in the sense that China has very carefully and purposely excluded American companies from being able to influence its information environment in any way, never mind on behalf of the U.S. government, but simply American companies being there. Now, granted, there are, there are some news organizations that are able to be read there, but even that, of course, is famously limited in various ways that are not true in reverse. So there is this sort of tug of war, larger picture perspective in which, even if it seems perhaps a little silly, somehow frivolous to focus on TikTok because of the dominant way we think about it, which is the way you just described, Ben, that it's a place where teenagers do funny lip syncs and pass around silly memes and do mashups with pop culture stuff. But as Jordan points out, it's it's growing over time, and is and as as it has grown, it's become more central to politics and things that really do matter. And the the unlevelness of the playing field is a significant concern. As for the the data access dimension to it, which is kind of front and center in the executive order, it's it's also easy to laugh at the idea that oh, the data about what what dance moves are popular among U.S. teens is somehow of strategic importance. Yeah, that's that's not really the, the nature of the concern. The, the nature is the, the collective insights that might be available, including the possibility that the app is collecting far more information from outside the use of the app itself. This is a really important observation about the TikTok app. There have been claims that it is sweeping up a lot of additional information about where your movements are, et cetera, that have nothing to do specifically with what you're doing on the app. So it's a larger concern than that. And yes, that same thing can be said about a lot of apps that are on our phone. Then again, a lot of those apps aren't subject to Chinese laws that compel companies to cooperate in providing whatever access, whatever data they've got to Chinese authorities and not to talk publicly about doing so. 
So the concerns, the concerns are real. Uh, one of the frustrating things to me about the Huawei conversation is that you would have these descriptions of what could happen, but very little account of what has happened. Do we know anything about what WeChat and TikTok have actually done in terms of providing information on U.S. persons to the Chinese government? Or is it really just they would be compelled under broad Chinese laws in the theoretical situation in which this was required? You know, how tangible is the harm and how much is it just a hypothesis? Yeah, I mean, to answer the question with the level of transparency you would want, you'd really need a DOJ indictment, which uses the same sorts of tools to to expose Chinese hacking, except doing it in like a corporate setting. And and we don't have that, to be honest, Ben. But it, to me, strikes me as so trivial. And given the, the evidence that the Chinese government has done pretty aggressive influence operations on Twitter, on Facebook, in trying to involve themselves, particularly in past Taiwan elections, that it it, it really seems like a no-brainer. If I was a 30-something sitting in a Chinese bureaucracy, this would be the way I would get my promotion is by pushing TikTok. And if I'm coming up with this idea, like I'm sure plenty of other people have, and given that the, the Chinese government has shown willingness to do this in the past, it strikes me as almost implausible that it's not happening. And I think the other thing which is which is important about this is like there is no way we would know. And even in this Oracle deal, we still wouldn't really know what would be going on. I mean, it's it's sort of even worse than like Arthur Anderson doing the Enron books because Enron isn't just paying Arthur Anderson. Arthur Anderson would like have a 12% of the of a stake in ByteDance uh, going forward. So even putting aside the fact that like they might be able to look at some things, they A, won't understand it and B, will have a very aggressive financial incentive to sort of look the other way or look or not look too deeply at any sort of influence operations going on. And, you know, until we get to a point in time where ByteDance USA is independent enough to expose the sort of influence operations, which Twitter and Facebook do on a regular basis, it sounds really hard, uh, at least the way I think of this, it's really hard for me to wrap my head around trusting that A, this is not happening and B, the company is doing everything they can to prevent it. I'll just add first on the censorship dimension, which is a separate topic from the acquisition of data. There are some very compelling various reports as to TikTok. Of course, Jordan mentioned the, the Guardian story. And I think there's also a Washington Post story in relation to Hong Kong protests and content being filtered out on WeChat. Uh, there, I don't think there's any question about the, the Chinese government's ability to, to reach through WeChat in a way that results certainly in domestic censorship. There's a recent Citizen Lab report documenting how uh, the Chinese government also takes note of what sorts of terms are in circulation outside of China in order to then better inform its censorship engine within China. These are all very real concerns. As for the, the data acquisition, so Ben, you ask, you know, do we have any evidence of this actually happening? I don't know that there has ever ever on any topic, ever been a public disclosure in the West and probably not in China either, describing publicly cooperation in accordance with Chinese law of a Chinese company with national security information requests. They don't live in the environment we live in where that sort of thing routinely comes to light, gets taken to court, et cetera. Nothing like that happens there. And it's not realistic to expect that as to TikTok or WeChat, that we would ever see in the public record evidence that this sort of thing is happening. Absence of evidence doesn't mean evidence of absence. Doesn't mean doesn't mean the opposite. 
But uh, but I wouldn't put any weight into whether or not we've seen any stories revealing this. Who would be publishing that story? Who would have that information? Well, there there are a handful of anecdotes of tech companies sort of being really annoyed with the government when they ask them stuff. And there have been stories like where a police wanted help from Didi with um, Didi's like the, the Uber of China in tracking criminals or, or getting data on their users. And it took them a really long time. Also, there's been a bit of a love-hate relationship between Ant Financial and the Chinese ministries involved with with finance who, uh, who sort of want more data from them and the companies at times are sort of loath to give it. But at the end of the day, as Bobby says, like there's extrajudicial jailings. There's plenty of leverage uh, if the companies want to do it. All right. So I want to talk about the Walmart Oracle deal because it's, I mean, you've both expressed some skepticism of its efficacy, but I want to flesh that out because it seems to me you have a company that's owned by a Chinese entity that's operating in China and that has no history of sort of independence or standing up to the Chinese government in response to information requests of the sort that, or demands of the sort that you're both describing. So now it's owned by Oracle and Walmart, but the rest is still true, right? It's still operating over there. It's still subject to the jurisdiction of the Chinese government. And so what happens the day that the Chinese come and say, well, we want this information on Bobby Chesney, or we want you to inject these awesome Jordan Schneider memes into the American bloodstream? And the WeChat people, you know, used to be owned by ByteDance, and now they're owned by Walmart. So what? I agree. I don't think it's going to hold muster. My sense is that basically the the logic behind the deal is they're trying to dilute the Chinese share of it through an IPO such that the ByteDance will end up owning less than 50% or close to or less than 50% of you know TikTok global um, when it eventually does an IPO sometime sometime next year. But at the end of the day, what you said is completely right, Ben. Bobby, what, what what do you think? Is there an impact strategy here or is it largely for show? I'm concerned it's mostly for show. It, you know, it's too soon to say because the companies themselves have, have had divergent stories about exactly what the ownership structure will be. And there is this tantalizing prospect being held out that somehow whatever happens for the next year, that somehow a year from now, there's an IPO and the ownership structure becomes an American incorporated, uh, an American listed, presumably, you know, broadly owned. I mean, we haven't heard any, seen any percentages as to what percentage of the of the ownership structure would actually be listed. It, would it be would it be everything? What would it be? But it remains the case that the official position of the the Chinese government, when last we heard, was that the recommendations algorithm cannot pass into the hands of a non Chinese company. In so far as a big part of what makes TikTok effective and what would matter for censorship or disinformation concerns is in the recommendations algorithm, not in the underlying data, this this remains a significant issue. There, there's no reason to think that what's ultimately going to happen is the algorithm will nonetheless be allowed to pass into the hands of TikTok Global and thus be somehow in the hands only of the American company. It sounds like there has to still be some sort of 
interconnectivity where the U.S. company's got the U.S. person data, but it is nonetheless, that, that data's got to speak to the algorithm and vice versa, or else the whole thing doesn't really work the way it has worked. And as long as that's the case, then at least one part, the censorship and disinformation part of the concerns seem like they'll remain there. Now, that may not be the most important part. Maybe the most important part is the protection of U.S. person data. And I'm perfectly willing to believe that with the right set of controls in place, you can have a situation in which the company truly does have only in the United States and only subject to the corporate decision-making of a U.S.-based company access to that data. And so, yes, the Chinese government could come along and issue directives and, and ask for it, much as any government could come along and do so. But it's possible. It's possible that the revised corporate structure could insulate the data effectively from that. But again, I think the censorship disinformation side and the intersection between the, the still Chinese algorithm and the U.S. person data, that's the part where we really don't have any clarity yet. They're trying to thread this needle between not exporting the algorithm and keeping the U.S. happy. And my take is even if Trump sticks to this, I'm not sure Congress will. So throwing a question at you, Bobby and Ben, do you think there will be enough momentum on the Hill to put a stop to this? And if so, what, what sort of things could Congress do to blow up this arrangement? Well, and I, and I want to add to that, Bobby, before you answer it, what's the right answer here? I mean, if you... If you say, if we take as a given that the situation is bad and the concerns are, are legitimate, that this arrangement is not adequate to address those concerns, but that the Chinese may not allow more, what's the right policy for the U.S. to take? So look, it's it's been a game of chicken over the past couple of weeks where the Trump administration has sort of laid down the law, put the squeeze on TikTok and ByteDance and driven them into this set of corporate transactions. And China then says, all right, well, we can play that game too. And they intervene in a way that, that as we just discussed, impacts the algorithm in particular. And as Jordan says, the deal reflects an attempt to try to thread the needle between these seemingly incompatible positions. It looks a lot like the Trump administration is bailing out in this game of chicken saying, all right, this is good enough. We'll take this. And by the way, we haven't said it so far, but it must be said because this is perhaps the most alarming part of the entire story. Trump said at one point early on to great mockery and amazement that he wanted key money which is a commercial real estate term for basically a finder's fee for making a deal happen and a wildly inappropriate thing for the president to suggest in a context like this. I want it too. I think hey. Lawfare should get it. Lawfare? Hey, I was I was I was on this I was on this beat three years ago, Ben. <laughs> yeah, but you you've been your China talk's been been absorbed by the Lawfare ecosystem. We'll give you a cut of our cut, but but we're going to we're going to bigfoot you on this one. Hey Ben, I think in my contract it says I get all my advertising dollars, but we'll we can we can <laughs> I don't know who's going to represent Bobby, you want to represent me or Ben? I'll give you a better percent. Yeah, I, I take, I'll give you 30% of the of the take. Done. So incredibly, despite the the obvious inappropriateness of that, uh, the president is found at the time he's announcing how he's accepting this deal even though it doesn't do what he fully what he said he it had to do. He announces, oh, by the way, that somehow, some way these companies are going to put up, I believe he said $5 billion. I mean, uh, take that, Dr. Evil, $5 billion to be given in support of his entirely unrelated 
policy initiative to try to impact how certain values are taught in the American school system, this patriotic education fund. It's just extraordinary. And the companies haven't necessarily confirmed that this is happening. So it's hard to know what to make of it. Maybe it's all uh, Trumpian bluster. But in any event, so it, it makes it so hard to say what's the right policy when we've proceeded down such a bizarre and awkward path. I think I've made clear that I think that there really is there's there's a core of good policy sense to pushing back very hard on the unlevel technology playing field that, that China has constructed where its companies are able to grow here and ours cannot grow there, and that this matters to the U.S. national interest in many ways insofar as it both involves U.S. person data, but also involves great opportunities that only run one direction to have an influence in the ongoing war of narratives about what is true in the world. So so I'm, I'm glad at some level to see some serious pushback. And I was glad that the CFIUS process was taking seriously the Chinese company's acquisition of Grindr and, and looking at this acquisition too. It, it's just so hard to disentangle it now from the the possibly divergent interests that Trump himself has in, injected into this. That said, I do think it's possible that the deal that's been put on the table with Oracle and Walmart at least could, if the CFIUS process in particular is really looking closely and blesses it, could provide a sufficiently reasonable solution on the data side of the equation, just not the censorship side. And let's not lose sight of the fact that there is no deal, no off-ramp for WeChat. WeChat's just been squeezed and, and squeezed out of the US market bit by bit. And the only question mark there is, will the courts intervene? Not Congress intervene to force through a sanction, as we just talked about with TikTok, but will the courts intervene to prevent the sanction? We have a, a currently a preliminary injunction in place, thanks to a magistrate judge in San Francisco, precluding enforcement of the sanctions against WeChat, which is pretty extraordinary. I think probably not likely to survive appellate review. TikTok, meanwhile, has gone to a judge in DC asking for similar relief this weekend. Jordan, what do you think the right answer is? Yeah, just two points to two points to add to add to that. So, first for a bit more color on the Chinese government's perspective on this. You know, this has now become a a, a big discussion, a big topic of discussion on on Chinese social media. And there's been a lot of criticism of, of Zhang Yiming for sort of not standing up and, you know, agreeing to an unequal treaty and and sort of like giving into Western bullying. And even government mouthpieces like the People's Daily just ran a, a three-day op-ed extravaganza kind of criticizing the uh, potential Microsoft deal, which would have sold the algorithm, and even, you know, taking some shots at the Oracle Walmart one. So I'm not even sure that this will, the, the, the current deal as it stands will get the Okay. There was a great line in some information reporting talking about how the folks that they were interviewing to get color on this kept describing different deal structures, which just gives you a sense of of how they're really trying to spin this differently on both sides of the Pacific. And then also just a little more color on the, the current WeChat ban. So it's not exactly a ban of WeChat. It's a ban on transactions that go on in WeChat, as well as not allowing app stores to support updates. So um, for the time being, people, uh, even, even if the injunction gets lifted, people will still be able to use it to communicate, but not necessarily send remittances or, you know, Chinese New Year Hongbao, like uh, red packets to their colleagues. And this and, and also not being able to update an app means it sort of ends up dying a slow death. But the um, administration did see fit to not necessarily cut off WeChat for the main function it currently serves, which is as a line of communication. We are going to leave it there. Jordan Schneider, Bobby Chesney, thanks so much for joining us. 
Thanks, Ben. 明明是潭水鱼，却住在海里。它和它的距离有上万公里。孤独的灵魂搬进陌生躯体，无论多远，无论多远，多想回到它的温柔怀抱里。风餐露宿飘。山的春晚，没有人情味的社会，甚至不会对你嘘寒问暖。即便成了长辈，还没有存款；即便过得狼狈，也需要温暖；即便是往南飞，也需要放下防备。哪怕不体面，也不要觉得自己悲惨。我会推翻阻碍我的高墙，我有为难。祖国让我翱翔，和平对岸没有内战，身份最灿烂。三弟，我们相互陪伴，他永远是我们身后伟岸的高山，感受他的宏伟三绕亮。回到他的怀抱，不需要导航，红旗飘扬的地方。这是我的方向，多年在外唏嘘莽撞，漂泊闯荡，不值得有点胆量，哪怕受气也要受气狂妄。我活得坦荡，我活得敞亮，我活得渴望被人认可，也想拿个奖项。明明是淡水鱼，却住在海里，它和它的距离有上万公里，孤独的灵魂搬进陌生躯体，无论多远，无论多远，多想。
They say being a parent is a full-time job, but I already have one of those. Luckily, I use Instacart to help me order everything I need while I'm stuck in meetings all day. So while Instacart is helping me get groceries, snacks for school lunches, and something for at-home happy hour, I get more time back to juggle my day job and my mom job. Save time by downloading the Instacart app or visit instacart.com to get $20 off your first order using the code INGREDIENTS20. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $35. Delivery subject to availability. Additional terms apply.